Hi, everybody. Welcome to INE Live. I'm your host, Katherine Brown. We have a fantastic stream coming at you today. We are talking about your career in the cloud, how to get started. If you're already in a career, we're exploring how you can get the best out of it and how you as a team leader can get the most out of your cloud teams. First, as we do each week, each stream here on INE Live, I want to let you know we are streaming live across social media platforms right now, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you're using so you can stay in the loop when we do go live. And we always want you to get involved. Talk to us, talk to others. We'd love to see that. I'm watching chat uh, taking off right now. It is rocking. We've got Luis in Guadalajara, Mexico, Douglas, Brazil. We've got Norway, Canada, India, Massimo in Italy. Ciao, love to see everyone. We are monitoring chat here. If you have a comment, drop it in. If you have a question, go ahead and put a cue at the beginning so we can find those questions easily and we'll get to as many as we can today. Joining us today, we have INE instructor Brooks Seahorn, full-time AWS specialist. He comes to INE direct from Amazon, where he was a technical curriculum developer and technical trainer for Amazon Web Services. Also with us, INE instructional designer, Dr. Amanda Baluk, an absolute phenom when it comes to analyzing the educational process and working with instructors to create the content that actually turns our students into experts. Both Brooks and Amanda graduated from Auburn University. As a Georgia grad, I hear there was a football game this weekend. I'm not going to rub it in, guys. Go Bulldogs. Let's jump right in. Great to have mm. you here. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, wow. we're starting off on that kind of wow. note, right? See, that, that's why you guys, that's why you <laughs> yep. got to tune into this. We get the, uh, get the chemistry and the uh, controversy <laughs> going right off the bat. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, great to have you guys here. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah. All right, Thanks so, for having us. So we're going to jump right in and uh, talk about who the cloud impacts, right? Um, cloud is mm. so big right now across industries, but specifically what kind of industries and sectors, what type of businesses are being most affected by the cloud right now, Brooks? Every business, every sector, every vertical in some way or shape or form is being affected by it. It's the ubiquitous nature of it. It's so easy to get involved in the cloud, start using it. You can get up and running basically for free if you want to, like with a lot of services at AWS. But more than that, it's the democratization of technology. It's realizing that if you want to start doing something with machine learning, a couple of clicks, you're using it. And in a lot of cases, when you first get started with it, it's free. So it comes down to when you start looking at businesses, they're all being affected by it. But it's not just the business, but it's also us as consumers. A lot of people don't realize, particularly like with a lot of new appliances like refrigerators, those devices are actually talking to the cloud. There's a lot of power generation companies that are putting out their usage data that's being consumed by our refrigerators via cloud resources to tell them the best time to run the generator. So it's not just the businesses. We're all being affected, whether it's our phones updating, figuring out where we are at a particular location, or our refrigerators. It's just ubiquitous and everywhere. You know, I, I, I'm interested to hear you say that, Brooks, because I think that's such a great point. I was um, talking to my son this morning. He's 10 years old, right? He was sitting there playing Xbox, mm -hmm. and he was he was trying to troubleshoot something, mm -hmm. and he said, well, Mom, this is in the cloud. And I just kind of turned and looked at him, and I'm like, <laughs> wait, you're 10. You're talking about the cloud? And, and you know, he was like talking about it very comfortably. I mean, this is something that is more and more is just a part of our lives, like as you mentioned, in every single sector. And people who are young are growing up in this kind of environment. And that's what's interesting about it. Think about what just happened there, that dynamic with you and your son. It's just, that's the, how it's done. That's just natural. Back when I was coming into IT, the idea was, okay, there's a server, it's up in a rack, we've got some network equipment, and that's just the way we just naturally thought of it. 
cloud is redefining the way we naturally just implement technology. Oh, we're going to put it in the cloud. I can think of very few cases, very few in fact, where you would want to actually do something on-prem and start trying to figure out a server. No, no, no. Within minutes, you can be using the cloud. You can get that business up and running. You can go global in minutes. Now, that's a two-edged sword. I realize so for a lot of people watching going, hey, hey, not so fast. I get it. It is a two-edged sword. But the fact is you can do that. And cloud enables us to do that. And with exactly what you said, with so many people, particularly as they're starting to educate themselves about the cloud, as college courses are being created that talk about cloud, that's going to be the natural way they start using technology is with the cloud. So when we're talking about businesses using this, obviously businesses mm -hmm. have to invest in the cloud right now. They have to invest resources, money, employees. Um, first of all, I want to get to, to the question, why should they care? And I know that we, we sort of answered that, but if you can break it down for me, Brooks, you know, why should businesses care? What's the impact if they neglect the cloud? And well, go ahead and answer that one and then I'll get to a second kind of yeah. follow-up question after that. <laughs> but, you know, what, what are the risks basically if they neglect the cloud? It comes down to one thing, huge competitive advantage. You're going to have folks out there who you might be competing with in your particular business sector. They're going to start using things that are in the cloud. They're suddenly going to start using technologies in the cloud that you're not using because you're still stuck with on-prem. I think one of the best examples I could give of it was we did an interview or I got to do an interview just recently with Kristen Day, um, who is with INEA and she does a lot of stuff. She's actually a practitioner in machine learning. Um, she works for a hardware company. They make door hardware and they're using machine learning. Implementing that kind of technology on-premise is a little bit difficult to do. They could quickly get up and running with machine learning, start leveraging that technology, which gave them an advantage in the marketplace over their competitor. So if you're using IT resources in any way, shape or form, you've got to be seriously looking at the cloud, not only because it can lower the cost, but again, the democratization of technologies. One of the best examples beyond that, I can really sort of give you, Catherine, to really make it concrete is, of all things, John Deere. A lot of people wouldn't think tractor companies would be invested in the cloud. But if you now look at a lot of John Deere, their latest tractors, they're like rolling data centers with IoT all over the top of them. Because John Deere realized they could have a big advantage in the marketplace if they had a tractor that while going through the field could do machine learning on things like soil quality quality of the uh, crops being harvested, had hyper accurate capabilities to move through a field correctly. It became a big differentiator between them so that as a farmer is looking for a new piece of equipment about to make that really big investment, they can step forward and say, we have these technologies available today. And the reason they can do it so quickly is the cloud. So really it comes down to if you're a business and you're not looking at cloud for resources, it's a really dangerous place to be in. Start looking at cloud, be smart about it. Don't just buy in hook, line and sinker but seriously look at what's there. And if I can just end that, this question with this one, Catherine, it even goes to places where you wouldn't think it would be applicable. There's a lot of, you know, I live here in Alabama. We have to deal with things like tornadoes, hurricanes, some major climactic events. I've worked with some small businesses around here and really pushed the idea of using cloud for remote desktops. The idea being that if we have a tornado come through, it wrecks a business and all of your assets are on premise, it's gone. Hopefully you can restore it within a week or two weeks. If it's on the cloud, you can get back up and running very quickly. So it's not just an advantage, but it's also making sure that should that bad thing happen, a climactic event, something happen at your place where you lose power, because it's 
cloud hosted resources, you can still get back to it. So it's really so many dimensions that can affect a business in a hugely positive way. And to not go that way is a big mistake. You need to be looking in the space. I'm just in my mind picturing the, uh, the rolling John Deere computers, data centers, right? Oh, um, yeah. Which, which is yes. a great analogy, yes. Brooks. And you, you went ahead and answered my follow-up question before I even asked you, so thank you. You're fantastic. Um, okay. Amanda, I want to bring you into the fold here and explore your role a little bit as an instructional designer. Um, we were talking yesterday as we were preparing for this stream. You're not an expert, per se, in the cloud, in cybersecurity, in networking. Um, and we have that in common. <laughs> but <laughs> you, you do have a critical role in creating the courses and the learning experiences that INE offers. And um, what you do here is fascinating. I wonder if you can just go into um, you know, some detail about what you do and how that impacts the courses and the, um, the offerings that INE has. Certainly. So my role as an instructional designer is basically to be a collaborator that looks at our material from the lens of student learning and understanding. So my goal is to work with these amazing subject matter experts and bring their vision and their expertise to the forefront in a way that really appeals to our audience. At the center of every single thing we put out, we need to be thinking about how do we best convey this to our audience? What strategy should we be using to really not just tell them the material, but engage them with the material. So I'm very lucky because that's my day in and day out is um, not necessarily having to understand, you know, cyber and networking and cloud, although I'm starting to learn slowly, but surely exposure lets you learn a little bit, um, but really just taking their vision understanding who our audience is and then delivering it in a really sound and meaningful way that makes that that information stick and go from short-term memory to long-term memory and allows them to really thrive within the workplace because not only do they know the content but they've had practice and can actually use it when you this is fascinating um what you do and the way that you do it um can you talk a little about the data analysis that goes into goes into really on the back end, taking everything and then before it is pushed out to the public, analyzing that data. Can you go into how you do that and what's involved? Absolutely. So evaluation is a huge part of instructional design. Technology is always changing. Knowledge is always changing. Um, processes are always changing. So a big part of what I do as well is not only just assessment while we're creating, but evaluation afterwards. So I'll talk about this uh, just for practicality reasons in regards to certifications that we've been doing. So a lot, a lot of data analysis has happened in regards to those certifications. So we are looking at this from a macro level to general feedback about the certification and not just traditionally like you would think um, from those submissions that we've collected, but even on social media platforms, everywhere and anywhere we can look at this qualitative data we were. So we were looking at this again on a macro level about what people thought about the certs in general. We're looking at a deeper dive into each question specific. So things like how did everyone answer this specific question? What was the range of answers that we got? Did our population get this question right? What was their first choice pick? What was their second choice pick? Why was their second choice pick their second choice pick? Going back and forth into the videos to make sure in the content, to make sure it was represented well within the content. Um, looking at the individual question analysis, so feedback on individual questions. There is data analysis at just about every single level for every single piece of a product that we put out, as it should be. And the great part about this is it never should stop. 
again, everything's always changing. We're always learning. We want to make sure we're putting out the best products possible that really reflect what our learners want to know, not just what our subject matter experts know. And they're amazing at, you know, really thinking about where the industry is and where it's going. And we want to make sure we have that in our material. But we also want to make sure we're constantly putting out a product that our, our audience wants and needs. So we definitely take that lens and that approach when we're looking at eval beyond just the data, making sure that they're represented and their feedback's present. Yeah, and I want to dig into something that you alluded to just a second ago as you were talking um, there. INE, of course, is in the process of launching cloud certifications. We've done several betas. Um, in looking through the comments, I know a lot of you participated in those betas, so thank you very much. Uh, more to come. Stay tuned on that. Brooks and Amanda are together in the process of reviewing all of this feedback that's coming through and as you mentioned, uh, Amanda, refining the exam. Um, we don't want to go into too much detail about that because this is still very much a work in progress. So again, stay tuned for more details on these certifications and what's coming down the line. Um, but I did want to explore a little bit for, and this is for both of you, Amanda and Brooks, what kind of opportunities are there out there in the, in the broader industry for INE's cloud certifications to make a real impact? Where are the, the, the empty spots? Where are the voids? And where are the places where these certifications and INE, what things that INE is doing in the cloud are really have the potential to make a difference? Absolutely. I'll toss it to Brooks first so he can talk about it from an industry. Okay. Standpoint. Okay. I, th I think one of the interesting things about it, and keep in mind, I'm coming from Amazon. So I was very much in that Amazonian frame of mind about we want to teach you about AWS. But when we start looking at what companies are asking for, they're not just saying, know a lot about AWS, welcome to the team. You start looking and there's like, wait a minute, they want you to know about more than just one cloud provider. They want you to understand more about the business. So they want you to understand, you know, how this technology should really be working, and especially third-party tools. And I think if anybody on the stream right now could probably within seconds pop up there, third-party tools like Terraform, Ansible, that we're seeing are just so ubiquitously used in the space. We're moving into that area so that people really understand what's going on when it comes to when I get that job, what am I really going to be doing? What's going to be expected of me? So we're pushing into that space by saying, what is that role? And how do we take a certification and tie to it so it makes sense? We're not just going to be throwing out pieces of paper. That's not how it works. We really want you to be there. And if I can kind of throw it to you, Amanda, um, one of the things, and by the way, having a great ID can really change up your game when it comes to uh, text like me coming up with questions. But the idea that we also want our clients to be able to think almost, uh, and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Amanda, I'm thinking about that Bloom's taxonomy jibber jabber <laughs> stuff, to think, sorry, to any IDs watching, so sorry. Um, it's that idea of that synthetic thinking, because when you show up on the job, it's not like when you're in school and you've got a textbook and there's an answer. You've got to create solutions. And I think that's something, uh, Catherine, if I could throw it to Amanda, it's something that she's really pushed and that she was looking for that I think really changes up the way our certification questions look when it comes to our clients and what they're learning. If you kind of extrapolate on that, Amanda, I'd appreciate it because I, I can't go there. I won't. That's too much. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up, Brooks, because there's two things from an instructional design standpoint, I think, that really make INE unique in this specific space with our certifications. The first is what you're talking about, and it's a use and development of questions that really just are beyond trivia. Um, while there is a baseline understanding that we have to establish within our user groups, so that way they can walk in and know these common words and concepts and relationships, uh, there's also, I, I feel, a gap in the industry that we tried to fill 
which was we don't want to just be able to regurgitate information. We want our, our clients coming through and taking this course and this certification to be able to do something with that knowledge. So when they walk in on their first day and someone says, hey, this is our situation. What do you think we should do next? We wanted to create something that would allow our users to say, oh, I think we can do this or we can do this. Let's think on it together and collaborate. And I think that's what makes our certification unique. So we put a lot of thought into how everything was formed. Um, we really focused on analyzation based questions, actual scenarios that happen within the workforce. We really use the concept of multilogical thinking and making sure that we're thinking through all these different complexities and we're, we're showing them in one specific question. So again, we're having that critical thinking, that higher order thinking that's gonna better prepare our user. Beyond that, something that INE has done that I feel we're very uh, much trendsetters in this space is we really put our clients in, in this framework as partners in learning. That comes through with the feedback. Exactly. A lot of companies ask for feedback and say, yes, this is great, but I'm really proud of the way INE handled this because we want to make sure mm -hmm. that you are represented in this material. So we're making you partners in your own learning. Absolutely. You know, and on that point, Amanda, I think it was interesting, something you and I have gotten into a lot because it, it almost sounds it's impossible. But and, and you can back me up on this. We've read every piece of feedback. So if you've first of all, if you if you were participating in any of our betas, thank you. Thank you so much. If you put feedback on a question, we read it. I guarantee you we read it. And some of them have been actually pretty funny. So yeah. for the folks out there who put jokes in there for us, thank you so much. But at the same time, I think that's really important because when we got critical feedback, like, and I'm just saying that to everybody watching, we've slammed on the brakes. We have absolutely slammed on the brakes, looked at that question and said, was this even technically correct? And Amanda will tell you, we've gone back and stepped through videos, like just step, step, step. And even when we have found, and maybe you can speak to this, Amanda, when we have found situations where the material was covered, I know you stepped in and said, no, that's not good enough. That's not how this works. Absolutely. We want to make sure that what we're putting out there is a good representation, not just of knowledge, but of useful information and useful knowledge. Mm -hmm. So anything that we even considered or got feedback as being, why is this important? Or um, I'm, I'm not really sure about this. We did an overhaul and made sure that we were giving you the best of the best. And that takes time to do. Um, but in the end, it's going to make a better product that's reflecting you and your needs. And again, we want to make you a partner in learning. And so that's why we're taking that approach. So as you guys are talking about the feedback, um, I know that you have, and I know that you have the stat too. It's something like 500 pieces of feedback or some, you know, you have it to the number yeah. and to the hour. Um, I don't have that stat in front of me, but I know that you guys uh, have sent it to me. And uh, God bless you for doing that and reading all of that feedback. Um, I wonder if you could go into some of the details about the maybe broader themes of feedback that you've seen specifically around some of the problems that currently exist, Amanda, for you from, from the perspective of an instructional designer, um, and where are there some opportunities to make improvements in the industry? Absolutely. From, so from an instructional design perspective, the information that we gathered back and the feedback that we received from the beta was really enlightening um, because what it signified to me was that there's a missed opportunity industry-wide. And that was, again, going back, I know I've said it before, but at, at these fundamental, these, these basic level certifications and products that we're putting out industry-wide, 
we're not really challenging. We're not really preparing our users to the best of our abilities because we're focusing on those lower levels of Bloom's taxonomy that was mentioned earlier. And what I mean by that is that we had an opportunity and we do have an opportunity as an industry to give our users and to prepare um, our upcoming workforce in coworkers and future colleagues to the best of our ability by creating materials that really helps them to critically think about what they're going to be experiencing day to day. And with these basic level products, oftentimes it's just simple, here's the fact, know it going forward. So I think what makes us unique and what I'd like to see industry-wide is this shift in mindset, the shift in mindset of being, okay, it's good for them to know this information, but what's the best way to convey that? What's the best way to get this to stick and to enable our future workforce to be able to apply this so that way we make better products, better companies, and a better space for us all in the tech industry. Brooks, do you want to weigh in there? Do you uh, you want to try your try your hand at some ID? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Um, I think the thing that I have found most surprising about it is to really slow down and think about how do we turn this in to an actual synthetic test that causes synthetic thinking. And it's it's one of the things I've I've loved most work about working with Amanda is this idea of okay that's a trivia question that's all that is that's a trick could you remember that S three is object storage that's that's useless when you move past that though and you start talking about things like okay what is an image well it's just a big object ah okay wait a minute I'm starting to think a little bit more you can really come up with tests that really push you in terms of thinking that way because when you get on that job the first day it's not going to be like you were learning the material say in a in an academic environment or at home you're going to have to think up solutions you're going to have to architect solutions and we want to give our clients the ability to think in that frame of mind versus just kind of doing this wrote trivia thing, which isn't going to give you any good once you get on the job. So by having Amanda there to sort of start recrafting these questions and pushing it in a different way, it's really been a lot of fun to really think that way because it's it makes for better questions, much better questions. So if you take one of our certifications and don't be flipped out when you sit there and you read, oh my gosh, it's a paragraph long question. There's a reason why it's a paragraph long. We want you to think about the question. There are some short ones too. But we want you to really think about the technology. And it's a great way for you to prove above other certifications that are out there that you really do get it. It's not a trivia contest. Do you get cloud? Are you a technologist? And we're trying to give you that certification so you have that 100% as proof going into a job interview. And beyond that, proving that you can actually do the job. Yeah, I know in conversations with both of you over the last few months specifically, that has been a, uh, a theme that has just been ongoing was, you know, really focusing on helping students understand versus just absorb and regurgitate, absorb, regurgitate, exactly. right? Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit. I want to get to some audience questions. And uh, just a quick reminder, as you're tuning in, we're getting a lot of great questions. Um, start that question with a Q, if you don't mind, so that we can find it as we're scrolling through all these comments. Um, First up, this is uh, probably Brooks, probably best for you. This is from Drug, watching on YouTube. What is the path for a cloud security career? Oh, that's, that's awesome. That is an awesome question. By the way, never tell anybody they've had an awesome question, but that's an awesome question. <laughs> and here's why. Security requires fundamentally a low understanding. You got to get that basic architecture in your head. You just can't, you know, jump into security. You need to understand what the services are. So 
when you're doing something like that, think about getting in that low level, understanding what the services are, and be willing to go multi-cloud on that too. Think like AWS and Azure, Azure GCP, GCP and Oracle. Yes, they have a cloud. It's actually pretty good. Think along those lines. But at the same time, avail yourself to things like we also have here at IME, like cybersecurity, incident handling in the cloud, which are a couple of uh, products or uh, uh, courses that we have out there, so that you really get that fundamental knowledge. Because understand, any one of these cloud providers is going to offer you some sort of security training. And it's very much specific to their platform. And that's great. But I will guarantee you that when you go into an environment where they're saying we want you to be security, they're going to be using third party tools in a lot of cases. So step away from the cloud provider. I mean, learn those low level technologies and step away. Learn about things like cyber uh, incident handling. Learn about what the red team and the blue team, how they attack a, an infrastructure. And you will be leaps and bounds ahead of the competition when it comes to getting the very best jobs in cloud security. So get that basic knowledge. Be willing to step outside what the industry wants you to learn, whether it's AWS, Azure, GCP. Learn from the cyber side of the house. Bring all that knowledge in, and you will be an absolute monster when it comes to security and could really make a big shift and a big change in a lot of companies. And they need that help. For goodness sakes, watch the news. There's been too much stuff happening. They need the best. Make yourself a best by getting that broad education at the very bottom. Yeah, that's a great answer, Brooks. And I have a follow-up on that, actually. Um, for people who are in charge of cloud teams, right? Um, how, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. are some strategies to inspiring your team, encouraging them to really drawing out the best that they have to offer? When you do cloud right, it's fantastic. Now, when you do it wrong, it's awful. But when you get it right, it, it, it really is a game changer for an organization. I know you're both there and everybody on the way like, oh, Brooke, shut up. I've heard it a thousand times. <laughs> Cloud is a business <laughs> strategy. It is not an IT decision. What you've got to realize as a leader in the cloud space is this, goes, this is going to affect your whole organization, all right? Um, there are folks within your organization that need to understand cloud that you probably haven't even thought about, folks like HR, folks like in legal. So you're going to be reaching out to a whole lot of people, not only just your team, but to a lot of people. And to inspire your team, give them the sort of training opportunities they need to really get the big picture of cloud. Not just any one particular provider, although that's fine. You want to be sure they can understand multi-cloud. You want to be sure they can understand what those third-party tools are. Watch the whole room light up here as I do this, Catherine. Ansible, Terraform. If I could turn everybody on to something you probably never heard of, look up Pulumi. There's another technology that the cloud providers that's outside their space, it's a third party that can really make working in the cloud a ton of fun and so interesting and put a lot of innovation there. Once that starts happening, leaders, watch out because they will run off and leave you. And that is one of the best places to be as a leader. Instead of having to lead, you're chasing them as they implement technology. But understand, this is a strategic decision. This is not just an IT decision. When you envelop the whole company in what you're doing, the effect is just, it's going to compound what you can do when it comes to cloud implementation. So get them into a great training situation. That's first. Give them the space they need to actually learn these technologies. There's nothing wrong with taking a three hour on a Friday to do like a lunch and learn or give them time to sit with a provider like INE and learn about these technologies because that's going to pay back dividends that are far going to outstrip anything you've paid for. 
Yeah, that investment in ongoing training, you know, things are changing so quickly, right? They're changing oh, yes. um, not yes. even by the day, but by the hour, almost by the minute. The um, hour. Particularly the, uh, literally, when it comes, I, Yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, absolutely, Catherine. This is one of my favorite stories to tell, and I think I've, I've, ever, uh, I've ever told this story. But quite literally, I was sitting in... Um, I was sitting in Seattle. This is when I was at Amazon. I was in a room full of clients. I think there was like 60 of them. And I was explaining something about uh, the, the serverless technology in AWS called Lambda. So I'm, you know, blah, 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 you know, whiteboarding. And I see the other employees in the back of the room who are supposed to be supporting me giggling. And I finally just said, what are y'all laughing about? Literally, from the beginning of when I started until that point, Lambda had changed. Oh. Literally within like minutes, the technology had changed and they're yeah. giggling as they're reading it, realizing everything he's saying is wrong. So I said, get up here and explain it. So that's the point of having great training that's really keeping up. The technology changes so fast that if you don't stay on top of it, you're going to find your competitor has implemented a technology that you weren't keeping up with. They're offering their customers something and they're taking your customers away. So for goodness sakes, don't play with this. Get them the education they need, give them the time that they need, and that investment will pay dividends that you that far beyond anything you put into it. I'm so glad that you gave that um, analogy, you know, that story, because we say all the time, it, this technology is fast changing. It's changing by the hour, it's changing by the hour. And oh, yeah. to hear that you really experienced that, um, you know, it, it's oh, yeah. very, very eye opening and, um, you know, it, it really brings it home. Um, Mm -hmm. I know you were talking a little bit about cloud, about uh, cybersecurity when you were talking about the cloud, and, and especially these days, right. they're all so interconnected. Um, but I wanted to get to another question. This is from Abdul Malik, watching on LinkedIn, who asks, how hey, does Abdul. cloud affect the role of cybersecurity? And thanks for your question. Oh, it's, it's, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Because when we start moving into the cloud as, uh, as, as cybersecurity, you're going to see an enablement that you didn't have before because you're going to be able to quickly grab technologies and bring them together. I'll give you an example of one within AWS. It's called Macy, M-A-C-I-E. And what Macy can do for you as someone who's in charge of keeping that security up is a game changer. Think about the ability to detect PII, personally identifiable information, sitting in a bucket someplace where normally you wouldn't have had that technology sitting out there. So knowing what Macy is, knowing how it works, understanding what object storage is in S3 is a cyber technologist is going to be a huge game changer for you because there may be a lot of people who just thinking along those same sort of cyber things like, oh, we'll use Wireshark, we'll set up a, a honeypot, we'll do that sort of stuff. No, friends, there are tons of technology in the cloud. And of course, me being AWS, I can speak about that forever that are going to change the way you can sort of put that footprint out there of security for your organization. So when it comes to cybersecurity, uh, you're going to have to be in the cloud. You have to understand those technologies. And again, don't be afraid to step outside what the vendor is offering and look at things like, a, uh, let me give you one real quick, Abdul. Look up Prowler sometime, P-R-O-W-L-E-R, -E or I think it's called uh, CyberGoat, maybe what it's called. I know it's an insane name, but these are both frameworks for digging in to a cloud infrastructure and checking it for security. So it kind of teaches us right there, whether we like it or not, as a cybersecurity, we're going to be in the cloud because guess what? Everyone's going to the cloud and we've got to secure that space. Amanda, do you have any uh, any thoughts on this? Like, I, I know that we've you know established you're not particularly an expert in cloud or cyber, but you do have some very unique insight into the process, into the analytics and the data. Yes. Um, just just again to to repeat the question: How does cloud affect the role of cybersecurity? And I'd love to hear your answer through the lens of an instructional designer. 
Absolutely. So the parallel I'm going to draw here is actually from my days teaching. Yes, I taught for a long time and switched <laughs> over to teaching adults and that I'm a little bit taller than I'm really short. So, you know, it's fine. <laughs> um, but um, what I'm seeing here actually resembles what I saw in university settings and within high school settings of this interdisciplinary approach. And what I'm finding the more that I work at INE is that our sectors that we have aren't standalone. They're not autonomous completely, that there's always going to be some crossover and what's really cool is if we capitalize on that and create products and relationships and videos and content that show how these things intersect with one another, we get a more well-rounded understanding of these intricacies. We get a more well-rounded understanding, a more holistic view of what it is we can do with that understanding and that knowledge in our workplace to allow us to answer questions and address issues way more competently than just having this one narrow scope. Um, so anytime that we have an opportunity to really explore those intricacies and those relationships that cross these sections, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. We're seeing this now um, at INE. We've definitely made some strides in starting to connect those dots across the areas. And I hope we continue to do so um, just again, because I think that's where we're headed anyways. And I think that's where the industry is headed and really acknowledging and embracing those relationships and how they come across the board together. If I can jump in real quick, there's something Amanda said there. And and by the way, she just threw a mountain in front of all of us. And I'm afraid <laughs> most of you didn't see it. So let me slam on the brakes right here and, and, and give you the real world about it. When I've done architecture, when I was at AWS and I would do architecture, this strange thing would happen. We would get to talking about virtual private clouds, VPCs. And if any of you have done anything with AWS, you know what a VPC is. But one of the first things you do with a VPC is you're defining the IP address range for everything that's going to be in there. This always happened, Catherine. It was amazing. I would stop the class. I would turn. I would put an IP address up on the board. And I would say, can anybody tell me what subnet this is in based on this CIDR block range? And the room would go quiet. And literally, I'd say, okay, we're stopping the class. I've got to teach you IP addressing. Something about INE, and Amanda knows about this as well as I do, that makes us so different in this space is, is that when it comes to learning things like IP addressing, I'm going to step out of the way. Yes, I know cloud, but when I have somebody like Brian McGann, who has like CCIE, CCIE, CCIE after his name, or somebody like Keith Bogart, who is just absolutely phenomenal teacher, they can teach you IP addressing in ways that hardly anybody else can. So that's one of the big differences, or one of the big differentiators between us and say other providers is, is that when I'm teaching you cloud, yes, I'll teach you cloud, but Amanda will be the first one to say, you know, okay, Brooks, get out of the way and just push me right out of the frame <laughs> and then let somebody like Keith or Brian come in who can absolutely own teaching you IP. And that is a huge difference because, again, what we're thinking about at INE is what do you need to know when you get to that job? You don't need one of my 15 minute lessons on IP addressing that I hope you remember. You need a real expert to teach you because that's going to make you an expert and that's going to change not only how well you do on the job, but your chances of getting that job. So just kind of add a braid on to what uh, Amanda had said. That's one of the really, really big deals that we've been able to uh, implement in terms of this sort of cohesiveness between all the different areas at INE. Uh, thanks for that, both of you. And we are getting, Brooks, you're getting a lot of love for the way that you start your courses. Uh, high builders, is that a thing? <laughs> Let's give us a big high builder. Um, uh, oh yeah, I said high builders. That started because I, I forget where I was, but it was a it was a room of like a couple of thousand people, and I was about to go up on stage. I didn't know what to say, so I just 
Hello builders. And I've just stuck with it ever since because that's really how I see anybody who's in the cloud, particularly the, uh, our clients here at I need their builders. They want to create things. They want to architect things. They want to build things up. So you really become a builder in the space because, and this goes back all the way to the beginning, Catherine, about why, you know, why is cloud important? Why mm -hmm. business should be thinking about it? Because it's so easy to start building in the infrastructure, start creating things. So that's something just always stuck with me. And I love just saying, hey, builders, let's get to it. You know, whether it's a lab or something, it's just, it's a lot of fun to, to do that with everyone. I love that analogy that, that um, you know, cloud architects are builders and they're building something. They're building this, uh, this foundation. Staying on the, uh, on right. the career path. Um, this is a question right, um, right. for really for both of you. Um, and Brooks, we can start with you, but then Amanda, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. This is from uh, Siraj, Siraj watching uh, right now. I started my journey to cloud solutions architect. I'm still struggling which certification course to take. Any advice? That's interesting, and, 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 I, and I almost wish we could do a little bit of back and forth uh, with Siraj right here, because one of the things that, that drew me to INE that I was so excited about was the fact that one of the first things that we talk about is, is this, you're not going to get a job as a cloud architect day one. It's just not going to happen. Cloud architect is a senior position. This is somebody who's had five, 10 years of experience. When I was a cloud architect, when I'm not a cloud architect, but just an architect, within the Department of Defense. That didn't happen my first couple of years. I was there like seven to 10 years before I started putting on that title. It takes a lot of experience. So what it really takes is a redefinition of where we're going in the space. And this is something that I love to hear all the time from uh, 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 our CEO, Richard McLean, or, uh, or uh, uh, the awesome, awesome Neil Bridges, our chief content officer, is the fact that this stuff ties back to roles. So at INE, what we do was, is we start thinking about what is that first role you're going to get? What's that first thing you're going to do in cloud? And chances are it's going to be something like administrator or maybe engineer. And that path can take you to becoming an architect. Um, but we don't miss out on the fact that a lot of times in a lot of organizations, even if you're an administrator, you need to be able to put that hat on quietly in the corner and look at the solution they just gave you and say, oh, I think I know a better way. So it's actually a progression that you need to think about. So. Um, Siraj, I would tell you this, if you're thinking about being, being a cloud architect, first of all, awesome job, awesome role, you'll have so much satisfaction from it, but realize that your first step out, you're probably gonna be an administrator somewhere to get started, you're gonna learn about those technologies, things like, again, Ansible, Terraform, how we use those, how we implement different, you know, different cloud providers within a cohesive unit for a particular solution before you get to that engineer and before you get to that architect Role. So start thinking along those administrator lines, what those roles require and working in that direction. And I think with some patience and hard work, and by the way, the only thing between you, Siraj, and success is hard work and time. That's it. There's nothing else there. You can get there. So look at that role, that administrator role and say, what are they asking me to do? Focus on that training and you can get started on the right path. You'll get where you need to be. Amanda, I want to bring you in here um, to enlighten us just a little bit. I, I, you've gone through this certification process that INE has been doing. When you look at um, putting together a certification and you look at making sure that the data that you're getting in is, is uh, reflected in that certification in that course and is reflective of the real challenges that people um, will face, what kind of challenges do you face 
when, as you're going through that process of looking at this information and then putting together a certification? Oh, uh, I face um, basically just lots of lots of research, lots of understanding, lots of conversations, um, lots of working with amazing people and collaborating with them to understand where the market's at, where it's going, where the holes are, um, what our students and learners are saying. So it really is just the challenge of absorbing and how much I can retain and making sure that my brain is clear and free to take in every single piece um, of, of awesomeness that I can from people that know more than me. Um, so that's, that's probably been my biggest challenge is learning where to start based off the feedback where we should be going that satisfies both the subject matter experts vision and our clients' vision. Because again, we want to make them partners in our learning. This isn't just talking at them. This is talking with them and creating um, courses and material and certifications that reflect their interest and align with the direction that the industry is going. So meshing those two um, has been a little bit challenging, but very rewarding based off the feedback <laughs> we've been seeing. Um, a lot of people have posted on, on multiple platforms that the stuff that we've been creating is useful. And that it's helpful. And that is the best thing I could hear. So whatever challenge I face, as long as I keep on seeing that it's helping people um, and, you know, I'm able to share that back with our team, we'll keep on taking on those challenges and overcoming those obstacles because y'all are why we're here. Y'all make it worth it. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things, Catherine, that, I, that I've appreciated most about, most about Amanda being on the team has just been the fact that I can come up with these wild-eyed ideas about teaching, but she can always sort of course correct me about, hey, wait a minute, you're trying to teach people here, Slick. And so then we can really come up with content that matters, that is effective, that we're thinking about the adult learner versus, oh, here's some facts. I hope they stick in your head. So, I mean, to everything Amanda just said, I, I can't say enough about that. It's a big deal. And it's why we put the passion and the time that we do into our materials. It's not just, oh, let's just pump this thing out. It's like we really stop the brakes and say, what are we doing here? Does this work? And again, I, I owe all that to Amanda for just keeping us, keeping me particularly on track to making sure this stuff makes sense. Oh, shucks, Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> like, did we get that on? That'll be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, no, no. I, I it's recorded that for posterity. Not, it, it is. That, there's not like a 20, there's not like a $20 thing going on here between me and Amanda where I'm going to get paid for the uh, promo. No, that's the honest truth. And if you want to talk about the differentiators between what we're doing here and other cloud providers that I won't name, it's that right there. It's the passion, the implementation of that passion, and making sure we're delivering to our clients the stuff that matters versus just what works. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. And I I've been saying for months, you two should have your own reality TV show because the way that you <laughs> banter between the two, you're like an old married couple. It's fantastic. Um, all right, I want to get to one last question here. And I think this is a great way to um, sort of wrap up this stream. And it is in answer to... Uh, to a question from Ashwani watching uh, on YouTube. If any beginner has to start his career in cloud, what will be the very first step? So this is broad, wide open, somebody just saying, I think I wanna go over to cloud. I think there are some opportunities mm -hmm. there. There's some jobs. What do they do? You can start, Amanda, I'll, I'll, I'll save it. <laughs> okay. 
So I'll address this from just a starting a new career standpoint, because I've been there, I've done that. So I can kind of advise on that level and let Brooks kind of take it from more of an industry in terms of step-by-step technicality, where to start. Um, So I can say anytime that you're looking at doing a career switch and you want to start your career and particularly in cloud, um, I would take a look at what your final goals are, what you want to end up doing within cloud and start there. What types of jobs does cloud have to offer? What really interests you? And then kind of hone in on what resources. So if you can kind of figure out what's out there, what the industry is looking for, and what aligns with your personal and professional goals first, you can supplement that and find the resources later. And lucky you, shameless plug, INE has a vast amount of resources um, and is continuing to develop within the cloud space. So even when you're looking at those, um, looking at the intentionality to behind the resources. So Picking a track is great within cloud. Picking a job title is great within cloud. Knowing where that job title stands within the industry is also amazing. But making sure the educational material that you're picking Mm -hmm. and you're starting that journey with really reflects your end goal. Because you'll notice that every single organization that puts out content um, is founded, has different mission, different values, a different style of delivery. So really being intentional with where you gain this information and really understanding the lens that that organization is coming from when they build their content is going to be just as important as figuring out what direction you want to go in. Good gravy. That's the best answer ever. I I give up. I just want to throw in the flag and just say, yeah, what she said. Yeah, Ashwani, that's exactly it. It's, It's the principle of where do you want to go and then just come backwards from it and you can find the right starting position. And to, to the point that Amanda made, and it's kind of a big deal, if you look at other providers of technical education, you will see them doing something with their material that may make your head, you know, like, why are they telling me about this technology? I'm not going to be using this technology. I don't know of anybody who's using it. Well, there's a reason. I'm not going to dig into it, but there's a reason why they, they're, they're talking about that technology. But then you go out to job sites. And you start looking at those first year positions and you start looking at what they're asking for and it doesn't align at all with their material. That's one of the things you should be looking for, Ashwani, as you're looking for, you know, where do I want to go? Figure out where that end goal is. Step back. Look at that first entry position into that space. What are they asking for? Not what anybody in particular is telling me I need to know, but what are the people that are going to give me a paycheck? What are they asking for? And work back on that material. And don't shy away from going broad at that point. That's why, you know, one of the reasons why I came to INE, the fact that yes, you can learn cloud, but at the same time, you can step over to cyber and learn about that. We have an awesome incident handling uh, uh, material as well. Our our IP addressing, our networking. So you get that broad knowledge that you need because a little, little tip here, Ashwani, there's a lot of people that are missing out on that knowledge who are just coming into the cloud. They miss that base. And it's going to really negatively affect their way going forward because they're going to have to pick that up. So exactly what Amanda said, where do you want to go? Work backwards and make sure the material that you're using is teaching you to that role and not just what the industry wants you to know. And don't be afraid to step outside a little bit and pick up those extra areas where you can really, really be beneficial to an organization. Brooks, Amanda, as always, fantastic uh, answers, incredible insight from both of you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we are going to wrap it up right now. If you missed it live, be sure to look for the replay across our social media channels as well as on the INE Live website. 
You can look for us again live one week from today, Tuesday, October 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern on whatever social media platform you choose. IED's Keith Bogart will be talking with Dr. Russ White, network architect, prolific author, and one of only a handful of people who have attained CCAR status. And also want to remind you throughout the month of October, we're hosting cybersecurity specific streams in honor of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. This Thursday, two days from today, October 14th, we're exploring the colorful world of cybersecurity. We're talking red, blue, purple. If you've ever wondered about the color modeling, what it's used for, and how you can get the most out of your journey, this is a great stream for you to catch. INE's Director of Cybersecurity Content, Jack Reedy, will be here answering your questions giving some great insight. Be sure to like and subscribe on the social media platform you're using so you can stay in the loop when we do go live. We'll see you next time. Until then, have a great week.